One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O Lord, open up our ears that we would hear the gospel. May your Holy Spirit be the one who teaches us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, our passage earlier in the service from the book of Samuel invites us to imagine that God addresses us by name. And he does. Every moment of every day, God addresses you by name. If we would have ears to hear that. And God speaks to us. We're invited to imagine that God speaks to us in a way that we can hear his voice. In a way that that we can know that the voice is the voice of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That we may know that it's the voice of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who invites us to call God our God, including us as his younger brothers and sisters. This reading from Samuel invites us to imagine that we might know that the one who Paul says we call Abba, Daddy, with the help of the Spirit, that we might know and be able to recognize sometimes when that God is speaking to us. Now, that is a bracing idea. 
I mean, it's a bracing idea in a sobering way, but it's a bracing idea in an awesome and good way. It sort of makes you sit back and think, wow, what is there for me to contemplate here? (laughs) Bracing in a cautionary way is our reading from the Gospel of Mark. Because in that reading, we're invited to imagine that there will be occasions when God is at work and that some of us will oppose that work and that we will oppose that work on religious grounds. That we will oppose that work based on what we think we are certain about what we know about God and what he wants for human beings. In each of these scenarios, the one where God speaks to us and the one where we misread what God is doing in our midst, the question of discernment is raised. I, I started off the, the service today by giving you, a, you know, what I thought was a pretty funny illustration of how it's not so easy to discern what's going on around you. And I will say that I do seem to be that Inspector Clouseau-type person who, you know, more than a few times, I'm, I'm always re- misreading things that, you know, I, I'm, I'm always the, I think this is actually in a movie, there's a dad like this, but I promise you that I do these same things, where, like, I remember at the playground one time, you know, seeing this ball kind of off by itself, and saw these kids playing, and they didn't have a ball. It just seemed obvious to me that that was their ball, right? So I went to kick it to them, right? You know, and then not in my field of vision was the little kid to whom the ball actually belonged. <laughs> and he said, hey, mister. Now, he didn't say, hey, mister, because that's sort of like me filling in, you know, uh, father knows best language, you know raised with like 50s and 60s uh, sitcom reruns. Uh, He probably said, hey, you, (laughs) that's my ball. Well, it ended up okay. It is hard to discern and read situations rightly. Um, But discernment is not impossible. It's not impossible. And in fact, God's Spirit loves to help us discern. He lives, if you will, to help us to discern. It is one of the Spirit's specialties, you might say, helping us discern. Now, now take, for instance, hearing God speak to you. Back to the Samuel passage. Richard Rohr, in a wonderful little homily on that very passage in 1 Samuel, taps into one of the great traditions of the church through the centuries. A tradition that upholds that God gets our attention and speaks to us through human voices. Rohr says that we want God to speak to us in special effects style apparitions. Back to Caleb at the communion table, right? What? What do you mean treasure and clay vessels? Where's the jeweled, you know, multi-layered, locked up 
shiny box. No, it comes in clay vessels. And, and when God speaks to us, God speaks to us often, not in that special effects style apparition, but he often speaks to us through the voices of our friends or the voices of strangers or the voices of our loved ones, maybe our wife or husband, our sisters and brothers in Christ. Maybe he speaks to us through the voice of the beggar on the street, sometimes perhaps our own voice in inner dialogue. How else would God speak to us, says Roar, except by using the voices that he has created in a world, this is actually my, a little blurry here on what's a quote, what's a paraphrase, and what's mine, so if you're really worried about it, I'll sort it out for you later. How else would God speak to us except by using the voices he's created In a world where God takes on human flesh, God's voice will sound human. St. Augustine, for instance, while exploring the Christian witness to God, became overwhelmed by grief and despair. And who knows where the story of Augustine's life would have headed had it not been for this moment in a garden outside where he was Weeping, sitting under a fig tree, weeping in his angst and despair, and he heard over in the next garden next door little children's voices, perhaps singing a song he wasn't sure. They kept saying, Take it up and read it, take it up and read it, take it up and read it, take it up and read it. And he sensed that it was God's voice speaking to him, saying, pick up the New Testament that was sitting over on the table where he left it, and he picked it up. And his eyes fell on the passage from Romans 13. Not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Augustine goes on to write in his confessions, perhaps the first autobiographical sketch in what today we would call autobiography. Augustine goes on to write, and I'm going to summarize here the gist of what he's saying and characterize it this way. From that moment, his heart was flooded with joy and hope. In other words, at that moment when he picked up the scriptures, heard the voices, picked up the scriptures and read, his world got bigger. And he saw a way to flourish as a human being that his Greek and Roman philosophies and religions had not opened up to him before. And the rest is literally history, isn't it? As those of us who traffic in this world of Christian theology as professional calling, all of us know, and many of you do too, that the conversations we're still having today are conversations with Augustine. All because he listened. Take it up and read it. Take it up and read it. 
Roar, in the same homily that I referred to a moment ago, goes on to say that, of course, not every voice we hear is the voice of God. If the voice urges us to wallow in self-pity, blame other people, judge other people, if the voice leads us to be self-righteous and stingy and so on, now that's just our voice. But if the voice leads us to imagine the world to be a bigger place and more compassionate than we could have ever imagined on our own, just maybe that's God's voice. And you might be surprised that if you respond to that voice and say, speak, now your servant is listening. You may be surprised that at that moment you enter into a dialogue with God's spirit that keeps going deeper and deeper. Now perhaps all this language here about the voice of God makes you nervous. It makes me nervous. <laughs> it makes me really nervous. You know, I spent most of my theological training being taught how to tell you that God does not speak to you in this way today. <laughs> For real. Um, I have really great arguments. I mean, really good ones that I had to memorize in order to be ordained in the first denomination I was ordained in about how God does not speak to you in this way today. And I'm here to suggest to you this morning that he does and that you can know when it's God's voice. Is it tricky? Yes. Do we get it wrong sometimes? Yes. Does it require discernment? Absolutely. Does it require the community to validate? Absolutely. But I have to tell you in a moment of self-disclosure here that since I began to imagine that this might be true, I have prayed for more people at the prompting of God's Spirit and then told them that I was praying for them and found that that was what they needed to hear that day. So, Makes you nervous, maybe. You know, so much of what I would have said in the past, I would have said something like this. We don't need the voice of God today. God has given us his scriptures, and that is all we need. But can't that really just be another way of saying that we like to keep God's voice contained and limited to our own mastery of what we know about God. That leads us to our reading in Mark. Because the Pharisees who oppose Jesus, they have scripture. And in a little bit of a way, they have scripture on their side. There's a commandment to rest on the Sabbath in the Old Testament. And along comes Jesus and says that their reading of it was causing them to miss out on what is really going on in their presence. The command in God's law to rest on the seventh day was always tied to God's people recognizing that they had been singled out 
by God, to bear God's love to the whole world. But tragically, that marker of Sabbath-keeping in Jesus' day had become a source of nationalistic pride. The religious leaders were not interested in remembering their covenant relationship with God as being a gift to the whole world for the salvation of the whole world. But in Jesus' day, the keeping of the Sabbath had become a proud nationalistic marker of superiority and exclusivity. The attitude toward Gentiles was that Messiah should conquer and punish the nations and put Israel in charge of the world. So when Jesus shows a willingness to approach the Sabbath in a way that signals flexibility, he sets off alarm bells. Ding, 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 ding. What's next, the Pharisees wonder. Next thing you know, he'll be telling us to love our enemies and that our calling is to be a light to the world. The next thing you know, he'll give us ideas that suggest that God's love cannot be contained by human beings and their agenda. (laughs) Well, as a matter of fact, (laughs) that is what he does. Jesus' rhetoric here with the Pharisees employs the logical method of reduction to absurdity to expose the mean-spiritedness of the religious leaders. Jesus says to them, Is it right to do good or harm, save life or kill on the Sabbath? Sisters and brothers, if our friends and neighbors outside the church don't trust us in what we say about God... They have good reasons. How many times have Christians endorsed treating people as means to an end and not as ends to be valued in and of themselves? As precious fellow image bearers, how many times have we allowed our knowledge of God to insulate us from the needs of others? How many times have we been silent like the Pharisees when Jesus asked them if it was right to save life or take it On the Sabbath, how many times have we been counted with them in our silence? Silence will not do. Silence will not do. That's why so many of the prayers of confession, there's a little bit of this in the corporate affair of confession this morning. That's why the prayers of confession over the centuries in the church have had a big portion of them concentrated on sins of omission. Because it's what we've left undone. It's when we've been silent that sometimes counts the most. When we see things that are obviously wrong, we cannot remain silent, but call them out for what they are. Like the Catholic bishop that said of the immigration law, that's being enforced in such a way as to tear babies from their mother's bosom, he said, well, if that's the law, then change it. Mark tells us that after Jesus healed the man, that the Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Now, just a sidebar The Pharisees and the Herodians hated each other. They did not trust each other. They had different ends. They had different goals. 
just how intense the Pharisees were afraid of Jesus and hated Jesus is shown in that they would go and make this terrible compromise or deal. It's overwhelming. It's truly chillingly remarkable that Mark puts it this way. Immediately, they went and they conspired. The only thing that Jesus had done at this point in the gospel of Mark, the only thing that he had done was to eat with the wrong people and heal on the Sabbath. That's it. That's That's all he did. And they said, immediately, we must kill this man. That was enough to convince them that Jesus was a threat to their hegemony. Now, it's easy to stand in judgment of them, but it's better, far better, for us to see ourselves in them and ask God to help us hear his voice in those of whom Jesus said he is present in a unique way. According to the Gospel of Matthew, this is how it will look on the judgment day. Jesus will say to us, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. End quote. As with all of the lists in Scripture that are like this, It's not meant to be exhaustive. It's meant to signal a category of people, vulnerable people in particular. And I was, as I was preparing these remarks this week, it dawned on me that all of these people have vocal cords. All of them have voices. And sometimes God is speaking to us through them. And when he is, may by God's spirit we say, speak Lord, your servant is listening. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.